Welcome into AWA Unleashed, the preeminent podcast and video stream dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. Thank you so much for making it a part of your podcast, uh, your, your rotation, whatever, because I, I know there are a lot of podcasts that are out there, but I want to thank you guys for making AWA Unleashed uh, a part of your week, taking some time out, an hour every week because we do enjoy it. And by we, I mean myself and Mick Karch and George Shire. Let's bring them in right now. And guys, I mean, we've got a fun one today because we've got one that I think there's a lot of confusion over the subject that we're going to talk about today. And that's AWA world champions. There's a lot of confusion in some minds, not ours. So what we all said, yeah, well, what, what, what we're going to do today is we are going to lay things out, I believe, chronologically. And, and we're going to start and we're going to go through the entire lineage of who held these titles. So uh, we're going to go through that and you guys are going to switch off uh, every every other. I'm not exactly sure how we are, but we're going to do it in our, our normal way. Uh, do you want to say, first of all, I uh, want to thank everybody if you have purchased a T-shirt. If you have purchased a hoodie, um, definitely go ahead, like, like George has got right there. And George, you've actually got the name on the inside or the outside right there. Yep. That's a personalized hoodie. You can Case get I that. Forget. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> got to put your name on it. Got to put your name on it. But uh, you can go to sodastickco.com. You can get that. Uh, you can get a, uh, a T-shirt as well. And by the way, if you've ordered one, send us a picture. Send us, just let us know. Send us your name and your hometown, and we will get you on the podcast. We will get a picture of you on the podcast. And as a matter of fact, you know what? Let's just do it right now. Let's just do it right now. Our very first one, we've got a lot of loyal listeners out there, you guys, but there's one that I want to go ahead and uh, start right now. His name is, well, I'll let you guys do that. Uh, Mick, uh, who is our lucky uh, first one that we're going to feature today? That is our good friend, Brandon Dack. And, you know, his nickname is Diggity Dack. And uh, you talk about a loyal listener, loyal wrestling fan. I don't think there's anybody that pays more attention to our podcast than Brandon does. And as soon as the uh, merchandise was available, he jumped right on that. And Brandon, we love you. You're the man. So, and uh, I, also, was... I also got the uh, email with the photo from him, and I echo everything Mick said. We we need followers like Brandon. We've got many, and thank you, Brandon. We do appreciate you. Yeah, so uh, if you do have it, uh, go ahead and send it to us. Send us a picture uh, via Facebook, via Twitter, via email, and uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll get it on there. Do as well. Want to thank uh, 7th Avenue Pizza. They've got great pizza. Uh, if, if you like frozen pizza and frankly, I don't know who doesn't, but there's pizza. There's one thing about pizza, but you want good pizza. You want fresh quality ingredients. It's seventh Avenue pizza, best frozen pizza on the market. Um, uh, and now putting the, uh, the information right down there and also Liftbridge brewery as well. You guys Liftridge has been a, a supporter for a, a long, long time. Uh, they've got great beer, great swag. And uh, check them out at the liftbridgebrewery.com. We'll put the uh, logo right up there as well. 
Uh, let me uh, see what else we have here. I think we're uh, I think we're good. And, you want last uh, week's trivia? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week's uh, trivia mix. Sorry. What does uh, see? It's it's been a while. So uh, what was last week's trivia? Last week's trivia, and I'm sorry to say, ladies and gentlemen, no winner. Last week I asked you, name any and all titles that Eddie Sharkey won in the AWA, and the answer was zero. Unfortunately, Eddie had a great career, chased Danny Hodge for the Junior Heavyweight Championship, but never did uh, get the gold. So no winner, nobody knew. All you had to do was, you know, say, I don't think he won anything. And you would have been right. But uh, we'll have another trivia question a little bit later on. Maybe people, maybe nobody got it right because there were no titles. Do you think maybe people got that confused? They're like, oh, no titles. Well, I'm not even going to say anything. You know, we're going to have enough trouble explaining to people the lineage of the AWA title today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, Oh, I got to load up on some beer. All right. Well, uh, make sure it's uh, a lift bridge. And uh, you know what? As a matter of fact, oh, uh, no, I won't do it. I won't. No, do it. No, no. I'll go wait. So anyway, without any further ado, uh, George, why don't you go ahead and um, why don't you kick it off and kind of explain what we're going to be doing? Because there are times, too, where people have had the held the title multiple times So, kind of take us through kind of what we're going to be doing. Very good. Then, you know, the first thing that I want to clarify One more time. Pat O'Connor was not the first AWA world champion. And if you go to any website on the internet, up to and including Wikipedia, and it states that Pat O'Connor was the first AWA world champion. Folks, it is wrong. I don't care how they explain it. It was wrong. That leads me into... If you want to get the facts, today's program, our title history, is going to clarify it for you. And trust me, Mick and I, we lived it. We breathed it. I have the programs and I have all the documents to prove everything that we're going to tell you today. So the websites, throw them away. Now, I I did put it down on the scroll. So that's technically on the Internet. So that's there you go. There you go. That That is is on the Internet. It is true. It is the gospel according to George Shire and Mick Well, and as Mick said when we were off the air, you can't believe everything on the internet according to Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) That's right. That is correct. All right. So uh, kick it off there, Georgie. The first AWA world champion was the owner of the company, Vern Gagne. (laughs) Vern Gagne. And the AWA was officially launched in August of 1960 after a 90-day fictitious challenge to the reigning National Wrestling Alliance champion, O'Connor, that the National Wrestling Alliance and Pat O'Connor did not answer to to defend to Vern. And Vern then, by default, started his own company August 16th, 1960, and he was the first AWA, and it was Alliance in those days, folks, American Wrestling Alliance. All I'm going to say on this now is that what's going to happen as we go through our chronological history here is Vern held the title 10 times. So we're not going to go in, in order and name all 10 times because that would take us forever. 
But what we will do is say this. Vern held the title 10 times. His longest title reign was from August of 1968 to November of 1975 for a seven-year period, uninterrupted. He held the title. And as we go through the history, you'll hear his name mentioned maybe by who some of the other guys won the title from. But Vern had his longest reign at that time. And with that, I'm going to let Mick go with number two. I just want to mention, too, you know, we, we kind of teased George about his uh, his devotion to being accurate with wrestling history. But I'm telling you, the man knows his stuff. And when he and I kind of get into battles with people on the Internet going back and forth, when when we've got the facts right there, that's when we got to say, hey, you know what? Yeah. Let's let's get this straight. Just you know, we're going to put it to bed anyway. The next man to hold the AWA championship is also the only man to ever hold the NWA and AWA singles championships. Now, you, you know, there's been tag champs that have held singles title, blah, blah, blah. But Gene Kaniski is the man, one of the toughest professional wrestlers ever, and that is legit. Uh, Gene, who, who called himself, of course, uh, Canada's greatest athlete. What a tough, tough guy. And he and Vern Gagne had a very, very close relationship. You know, it's funny how you remember certain things. And I'm going back to 1960 when I remember watching as a kid, uh, Gene Kaniski hitting Vern Gagne over the head on television with a bottle of Vern's liquid vitamin, Gerilac taking a swig of it and spitting it all over Vern Gagne's prone uh, body. And, you know, that's the stuff that nightmares are made of. But uh, Gene Kaniski is just a very tough guy, former football player. Uh, he wrestled as Gene Kelly at one point. He had a couple of sons that entered the wrestling business, Nick Kaniski and Kelly Kaniski, uh, the real deal. And he had the face of a wrestler, he had the body of a wrestler, and he's legendary, uh, Gene Kaniski. I would point out with Gene is that this is what we're going to refer to as a coffee break champion because this did happen in the AWA as it does in wrestling. And though Gene held the title for only a two-week period, it was basically done. He won the title from Vern and lost it back to Vern for rematch purposes. And it was done a lot in those days. So that was Gene Kaniski. And Mickey also held the World Wrestling Alliance title in ah. the Bruiser's territory, which makes him really a champion of three uh, of the major alliances. Yep. The next champion in the order here, man, I tell you what, and I know this is one of Mick's favorite wrestlers, and he's one of my favorites because I loved Masked Men. And I'm talking about the legendary Mr. M. You talk to any old fan our age, and boy, I'll tell you what, they remember Mr. M. And that was Dr. Big Bill Miller under the mask. And he was a great friend of Vern Gagne outside the ring. Vern put the title on him after he had been in the territory for a while with the mask. And one thing that Vern did was he wanted, when the time came for Mr. M to leave the territory, that he would unmask. And he had Vern's title when he did. And Vern unmasked him. And, and Bill was then working without the mask for a while until he eventually left but a legendary champion in the AWA for eight months in uh, 1962. 
and one of the best all-around wrestlers in the business, period. And a legit tough guy. I mean, yeah. you know, Bill at about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, great collegiate wrestler, veterinarian by trade. Um, one of the greats, I love that mask too, that, that old school mask. It looks like he, you know, tore apart a football. You know, and wrapped it around his head. It was, like uh, it was almost like a leather material. It, it really was, but to hot, he had to be hot. Absolutely, George, and I agree. And I, I echo what you said about Bill Miller being one of my absolute favorites of all time. Talk about legitimacy in uh, in pro wrestling. The next guy that we're going to talk about, I'm sure a, a fan or two out in AWA land remembers a guy named the Crusher. And I say that, of course, uh, very facetiously. Uh, Crusher, who came into the AWA area, he had been here, of course, in the in the uh, late 1950s as Reggie Lasowski. Uh, but when he returned to the AWA, he came in as a heel. And eventually, we talked about this many times, uh, where he had a, a baby face turn and stayed that way for the remainder of his career. Crusher was another of these uh, multi-time AWA champions and his feud with Mad Dog Vashon back in the 1960s. George, I think you'll agree with me. Uh, probably the premier blood feud for so many years in the AWA. Uh, the Crusher is legendary. I, I, I would I would venture to say that when you talk pro wrestling and AWA fans, aside from Vern Gagne, this is the guy that they remember. The legendary crusher and uh you know a couple of his championship reigns um were not as long as the others but but nonetheless there there's the man i mean and the man the only man that has a statue in his honor in his hometown of milwaukee and you know the fun thing about the crusher is that he also when you think about it had those coffee break uh championship reigns his first one was because he was feuding with Vern as a heel and Vern gave him the title for rematch purposes. But then he got into that legendary feud with the dog. And I would say that if you name one feud in the AWA that tops all the others, as great as they all were, Crusher Vashon is it. And Mick, do you remember the Crusher when he came into the ring and he had his title belt made with beer bottles on it? And then he also had Mad Dog's AWA title belt and he tried to get into the ring and he couldn't bend over because his... Milwaukee belt maker had made him this beer championship belt. That's great. the kind of championship belt that Chris Tubbs would have absolutely loved. A, oh a beer belt. Can you imagine Tubbs walking around with that? It wouldn't fit around my belly. Well, it'd have to have lift beer on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, you give me a bunch of lift bridge. Uh, there you go. Believe me, I've, I've had enough lift bridge that I could make uh, several several different variations of the belt. Now we're going to want lift belts made. Oh, boy. All You're right. up, Georgie. Our, our next one, you know, when you talk about coffee break champions and some behind-the-scenes situations, this was one of the titles that was not officially recognized in the Minneapolis office, but it happened in Omaha. And that was Vern dropped the title to his friend, Fritz Von Erich. And that happened in July of 63 in Omaha. And what they did were they were working out a deal where Vern was then going to go to Amarillo, where Fritz was working at the time and big in the funk territory, Dorian, Dorian Terry and Dory uh, Sr. And Vern won the title back from him. 
in it, Fritz's hometown. But it was a brief period. But yet, you see there, and this is official, folks, Fritz von Erich is wearing the AWA championship that was the belt at the time worn by Vern Gagne. And it is official. There you go. The, the, the gospel according to Shire. And uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, you're getting the real deal here. Uh, you know, it's interesting, George. You mentioned the coffee break champs only recognized in one city. You always knew if a championship was going to stick, if a title change was going to stick, somehow it made its way into the Minneapolis newspaper. The AWA made sure that that AP or UPI story got into the Minneapolis paper to legitimize the title change. Otherwise, it didn't happen as far as we knew. Right. right. So interesting development there. All right, next man. Uh, talk about legendary tough guys. And again, talking about people in the AWA that are incomparable. And I'm talking about Mad Dog Vashon. Now, here's a guy. Mad Dog was probably about 5'9", I'm guessing, maybe. Uh, probably about 220, 230, legit. A former, uh, you know, a, Olympic uh, wrestler from Canada. Not Algiers, Algeria. He was not, you know, sniffing out garbage in the back alleys of Algiers. Uh, came from a family of 13. And in early 1964... Mad Dog Vashon was still a preliminary guy, uh, even including in the Minneapolis Territory. He came in and he uh, lost a match to a man by the name of Don McClarity uh, back in early 1964. And lo and behold, in October 1964, Mad Dog stunned the wrestling world. And I mean, it was a stunner when he did, defeated Vern Gagne in Vern's own hometown to win the AWA championship. Mad Dog, again, you know, one of these guys, he's a champ, and then he's not, and then he is. Um, always a heel when he held the AWA heavyweight championship. But I want to tell you, to a man, anybody that was ever in the ring with Mad Dog Vashon, they will tell you, for his size, there was not a tougher wrestler in history. And, you know, I'd point out that, Mad Dog officially held the AWA world title three times. Uh, However, if you look at the history, and this is fact, it says five. And we're not disputing that. But the reason was is that in Omaha, Nebraska, Joe Dusick had the policy of these quick title changes that Vern didn't always acknowledge in Minneapolis. But in the official title history, they do. So Mad Dog held the title five times. But really for a three-year period, which was very good for Vern to give it to him at that time period. As I bring that up, we're going to talk about the next guy. And these are a couple of these coffee break Omaha champions. The first one was the mighty Igor. He had been feuding with the dog in Omaha, where Mad Dog lived at the time. And Igor actually got the title for a very short week time period, again, to build a rematch. It was never mentioned in AWA Minneapolis, but he did hold the title, and it is acknowledged in the history. So Igor Vodic gets credit for a, a one-week title reign, which again then brings us in. The dog also lost the title in Omaha to a guy named Dick the Bruiser. Now, this was an interesting thing because wrestling was kind of a tit-for-tat type promotion or business. 
Mad Dog put the bruiser over with Vern's blessings in Omaha for a couple week period to build some momentum in Omaha. And a couple of years later, Bruiser paid Mad Dog back when he did the job for Mad Dog in a Chicago unification match between the AWA and the WWA title in Bruiser's territory. And they officially recognized AWA in Chicago after that and not the WWA title. So Bruiser and Mad Dog worked this out and Vern had his blessings on it. And Bruiser, of course, gets credit for being AWA champion. This brings me to the, my third one in a row here. Mick and I, we've got three each coming up. So I'm on my third of my third. You kind of like this guy coming up, don't you? Oh, I said I liked mass guys. And I tell you what, this one here, my all-time favorite wrestler. Absolutely don't knock the doc, Dr. X. And here was the deal. The doc had been here for a year. He had really literally beaten a who's who of the baby faces. And Vern had a first title match with him in March of the of 68. Well, back in August then of 68, in a rematch, Vern dropped the title to Dr. X for a two-week period to build up a further rematch to keep their feud going because now the masked man's got not only his mask but the title. And Doc held it for two weeks till the end of August 1968. And then they put Doc into a program with Billy Red Lions after losing it back, and the rest is history for the Doc for the rest of his career. You know what's amazing about that, too? That picture that Chris put up, you know, courtesy of the George Shire collection, is actually Dr. X. Yes. You know, there, there were times in the AWA programs, depending on how late they were, uh, you know, getting getting to print or the, you know, hit, hit the deadline, uh, they just, you know, grab a masked man's picture, uh, whether it was Bobby Graham out of Florida, sometimes they used uh, Jim Osborne, but this was legitimately Dr. X Dick Byer. And, hey, they, uh, used, and Rick, they used to use Mr. M in the programs yes. for yes. Dr. X. They'd have Dr. X coming off the top rope, and it'd be the M mask and an M on his boots. Um, that picture that I shared with uh, Tubbs, was actually the first mask that Dr. X wore. You notice it didn't have an X on it. He just had a black mask for about the first year. Well, see, that's where they got all screwed up. Once you put that that letter on a mask, you got alphabet soup and everybody goes crazy. Yeah, just don't, go, con don't, don't confuse people with uh, literacy here, right, guys? Well, yeah, uh -oh. if you, uh -oh. offer them a, you offer them a coloring book and some crayons, and that's as far as you can go. That That's was all me. the people that are reading Wikipedia and coming in with somebody named O'Connor. See, oh. I, I, I've got, I, I'm, I'm taking a back seat this week, but it's like poke, 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 yep, poke, absolutely. poke. All right, uh, I'm going to hang up it. and listen. You, <laughs> I, I, I get it. Yep, poke, poke the bear. Okay, um, bye. The, the next guy that I'm going to talk about, I've heard of once or twice over the years. Um, Talk about a favorite wrestler. I mean, it goes without saying that Nick Bockwinkle, my all-time favorite, imagine that. Uh, but Nick came to the AWA from the Georgia Territory. He had a, a great career early on uh, before he came here. 
as a wrestler in Hawaii on the West Coast, down to Georgia, everywhere. And he held regional uh, championships. The last title he held before he came to the AWA was the Georgia Championship. And it came in the fall of 1970. Held the tag team title with Ray Stevens in the interim. But when Nick came to the AWA, you know, Vern had this, this rain going on. And we're thinking, okay, is anybody going to take the title from Vern Gagne? And when Nick came to town, he looked like a logical contender. Like maybe this is the guy that is finally going to defeat Vern Gagne for the AWA Heavyweight Championship. Well, again, I told you that Nick came in November of 1970, five years later. Five years, uh, he defeated Vern Gagne to win the AWA Heavyweight Championship in St. Paul. And you talk about a guy who earned his stripes. He was loyal to Vern, forever loyal to a fault. He moved here from uh, sunny Hawaii. He decided he would uh, ski and snowmobile in the wintertime. That's how much uh, he loved it here. And that was uh, Nick's initial title reign. And again, George, you're you're well aware of this, a multi-time world champion. Absolutely. And, you know, he's probably my second or third all-time favorite wrestler and one of my personal, probably number one or two best wrestling friends he was. I want to say this about Nick. You know, he held that title for five, almost five years, the first reign. And the thing was, When he first came to the AWA, Mick, a lot of people weren't aware that Vern had promised Nick the championship early on. And there were plans that he was going to get it around 1971 or early 72. But things changed with the Hercules Cortez passing in July of 71. But here's something that changed Vern's mind, too. At that time, in all the wrestling magazines, there were stories of how Bruno San Martino had been Held, held the title at that point when Vern got it back for five years, going on six years, seven years. And Vern kind of changed his attitude. He was kind of out there to see if he could beat Bruno's reign. And that was a, that was a true story. Vern was kind of in competition without telling anybody. So there's a little backstory. Next guy for you, buddy. Oh, boy. I don't Thanks know a lot. This one. Thanks a lot. Uh, the next man that that I'm going to talk about is probably when you talk to wrestling fans who remember AWA wrestling in the 1980s, they're, they're still kind of scratching their heads. And uh, I'm talking about Otto Vance. Now Otto was an Austrian. He came into uh, the AWA territory in 1982. There you see big Otto. You know, I, I, I don't want to, cast any aspersions or disparage Otto Vance. I never got it. I, I, I just never could understand what the appeal was. But in an infamous way, Otto Vance is in AWA history as a heavyweight champion. Back in 1982, Otto, who was a big promoter and a big shot with the Catch Wrestling Association over in Germany, uh, he wanted a, a little publicity a little rub, as they say, he was going to be going on tour uh, over in Europe, and he actually paid the AWA office, I believe, around $50,000. True story. For a short championship run, uh, he worked out a deal with Vern where they took the title belt from Nick Bockwinkel, 
And again, it was absolutely stunning because first of all, the, you know, the finish of the match, uh, I believe, you know, Otto basically laid his uh, 400 pound carcass on top of Nick for a, uh, a somewhat frivolous three count. But again, I, I, I don't get it. I, I never got the appeal. I would even say Mighty Igor to me would have been a more credible champion. Uh, that Otto Vance was, although the, the reputation overseas was was tremendous. Uh, the crowd popped in St. Paul, you know, when he won the title. I guess that's all that you can uh, hope for. Thankfully, just a couple of months later, Nick regained the championship in Chicago. But when you talk about the controversial champions in AWA history, the man that actually bought his way to a title was Otto Vance. You know, I'd add this about Otto. Mick and I were both in attendance that night. Oh. And we were we were as in awe as all the other 20,000 fans. You got to remember, this was in the heyday of the AWA in 1982, and they were drawing really well. And we were totally confused because it did come out of nowhere. In hindsight, I think it really does the AWA a favor because it brings in that international thought process that on any given night, an unknown champ, a challenger could upset yeah. a champion, and that made sense. And here's the behind-the-scenes story, folks, and this is gospel. Only Vern, Otto, and Nick were in on Nick losing that match that night. Bobby Heenan was not brought into the loop. Bobby stated that later that he was upset that he wasn't included. And when you see him protesting in the ring, that Otto had his hand raised, Bobby was legitimately going off the handle because he did. Not, this was not in the script. Nick knew it, and he, Nick and him, Nick told me the story. He says Bobby and I had a little bit of a dispute. Bobby was ticked that Vern didn't take him into his confidence, but Vern and Nick and Otto worked it out, and it was for only three months. Did, did that happen a lot, guys, that you know of? Or was that, that was the only time? I mean, why would that have been the only time that somebody would have paid to have that oh. championship? It, it seems like if that's the case, then why aren't other wrestlers saying, hey, you know, I'll give you $75,000 if I can have uh, a championship run? I mean, why was this the only time? It was not unusual for, for titles to be purchased, although it wasn't widely known. Uh, un unrelated to the AWA, the NWA title was purchased by Dory Sr. for Dory Jr. to go over Gene Kaniski when Gene wanted to drop the title. And okay. Dory Sr. paid for him to get the belt. That was a little behind-the-scenes work. And I'm sure it happened at other times. But mm -hmm. this was monumental with Otto because it truly... You'd look at him and you'd say, with all the challengers in the AWA, where did this buffoon come from? Was there was there a story? Was, was this a match that they would call cold? Was it one that was just like out of the blue? Was there any sort of a, a story or a buildup to this? Otto had been here for a few months and, and, you know, beat a few of the baby faces and just got a title shot. And hmm, it was okay. from the beginning. He came here, burning him, worked out the deal. But Bobby was a little bit ticked. And I, and I, I understand why. But at yeah. the end, it worked out because they told him, don't panic, Bobby. You're going to get it back in two months, you know. Okay. I got to tell you a little, a little backstory, a side story here about Otto Vance, and then, and then we'll move on. Uh, and this is a true story. Ladies and gentlemen, I kid you not. My bias against Otto Vance has nothing to do with this. 
there was a magazine store in downtown Minneapolis by the name of Schinders. Oh Schinders Books and Magazines. And I would go in every month and, you know, get the new wrestling magazines, you know, uh, when I would stop downtown for lunch or whatever. And I see Otto Vance in there one day. And Otto is back and he's looking at the wrestling magazines. Now, mind you, this guy at the time is the heavyweight champion of the world. Somebody did not recognize Otto Vance, and the guy was, was reaching for a magazine, and Otto wouldn't get out of the way. And I'm telling you, and this is a quote, I was standing right there. The guy said, Fatty, will you please move? Oh. <laughs> he said this to the world heavyweight wrestling champion, and Otto being the gentleman that he was with his leader Hosen or whatever else. Uh, he he very kindly got out of the way. But that's the respect that Otto Vance commanded from the wrestling public. Fatty, get out of the way. It's like Shire said to me when I was in Winnipeg at the Burger King. He said exactly the same thing to me. Yeah, but that was after you had your third Whopper and the large family size shake. You know, there's a difference there. <laughs> right, let's, let's continue on to international champions. And the next guy that I'm going to talk about, and again, now, now you're in an era where Vern is trying to establish the worldwide credibility of the AWA because the Vince McMahon machine is going full throttle. And Vern, a lot of times, would have uh, big matches and relationships, business relationships with the Japanese promotion. And Tommy Jumbo Saruta was one of these guys that had established a reputation for many, many years as a great champion over in Japan. When Vern is looking for this international appeal, there's a championship match in Japan with Nick Bockwinkle and Jumbo Saruta. And the title goes on Jumbo Saruta. The referee is Terry Funk. So, of course, Nick is talking about you know, Terry Funk, I've got a history with him. He's bought off. How do you expect me to win a match in Japan against a Japanese wrestler with a Japanese referee, a Japanese crowd, a Japanese popcorn vendor? I mean, the, 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 the list of excuses was so beautifully done. But nonetheless, and again, like George says many, many times, a transitional champion, uh, Jumbo Saruta, who passed away uh, just just recently, but he's legendary in Japan, and for a short time, again, the AWA gets that rub, that notoriety, as the international promotion. Vern wanted everybody to know the AWA was the real deal in terms of uh, a scope and territory. And I did Vern, uh, sorry, did Vern start to do that later in in the uh, later in the in the history of the AWA? Once he realized maybe there was a market for it, did, does that make sense? Well, yeah, but, you know, that was really it. I mean, when you talk about Otto Vance and Jumbo Saruta, well, you know, and we're going to talk about another guy who was uh, kind of in and out. But in terms of going for that international appeal, those were the two times that Vern actually went across the sea, you know, for the AWA notoriety. Okay. And the thing with Saruta, you know, we talked a moment ago about buying championships, though he didn't actually put up money for it. It was Giant Baba and his relationship with Vern yep. at the time that actually pushed for Saruta to get the rub to be able to come in as AWA champion, 
in Japan and have that recognition, which absolutely built up Baba's territory. And that was the reason it was done as well. So Saruta was a, about a three-month champion. And yeah, it did come out of nowhere, but at the same time, you totally understood it. And Saruta wasn't an unknown because he had appeared in the AWA briefly at different times over the last, you know, three or four years. He lost the title to a Canadian by the name of Ricky Rick Martel. I absolutely, I thought Rick Martel at that moment in time from a pure wrestling standpoint, which is what Vern's territory always wanted to emphasize, Ricky was the best guy for that, that time period. And here was the deal. Vern had no problem putting the title on a babyface champion at that point in time. And I say this with all due respect to Vern, but it's the truth. Vern was no longer active as champion. He didn't have to worry about a babyface being more popular than he perceived himself to be as champion. Ricky got the, the chance, and he made a great champion for over a year. And then he ran into a guy that Mick is going to tell us about. Before I do that, to your point, George, Ricky Martel, tremendous wrestler. Yes. You know, he had a great reputation before he came to the AWA. I would say that in a different era, different time, Ricky Martel would have been over huge as one of the most popular AWA champions of all time. Unfortunately, you're in the Hulk Hogan era. And yeah. because of that, even with all his technical skills, uh, Ricky Martel was, was kind of looked at by the national wrestling public as, as kind of a second-tier champion, which is really a shame because he was very, very good. Um, the other knock, I would say, on Ricky Martel, because he had the, the French-Canadian accent, unfortunately, some of his interviews didn't go over as well as they should have with the, uh, with the American audience. But a great wrestler and outside the ring, just a terrific fan-friendly guy. Uh, Ricky Martel... To me, one of the best feuds of the 1980s is with the man that he lost the title to. And I know, George, you have some thoughts on this, too. Stan the Lariat Hansen comes in and feuds with Ricky Martell, and they had some incredible brawls, not only here in the Twin Cities area, but in Chicago, in New York. They took it all over the horn. They had a great setup, great program on television setting up the feud, uh, Hanson the big, rough uh, brawler, Ricky Martel, the scientific babyface, and the matches were absolutely outstanding. Hanson won the championship, if, if you recall. Uh, Ricky Martel conceded to a Boston Crab, and that led to a very short but very controversial reign uh, for Stan Hanson. And, you know, the thing about Stan Hanson that we want to point out is that he was a champion. It's not my thoughts on it. It's actually facts when, when we give the little backstory here. Uh, Vern was still trying to, in that heat of battle with the WWF at the time. And Hanson was really, he was the best choice as a, he, he didn't commit to any one territory. He was an independent all the way. And Vern was going to put the title on him for that international flavor as well to kind of go against Vince in the East Coast Circus. So what he does is he puts it on Hanson, but they got into that controversy with uh, Hanson wanting to go over to Japan. And Vern had issues because 
he was losing Hanson off and on with, you know, AWA defenses. And Hanson, to his own point, was loyal to Japan first, and that's where he was making his primary money. So I don't fault him on this. But he failed to understand that it wasn't his title, it was Vern's, and that he should do the job when the boss asked him to do it. Unfortunately, Vern pulled the rug under him quickly and said, you're losing tonight to Nick, and it didn't work. And so Nick ended up winning the title by forfeit when that famous incident took place when Stan left the building with the belt and then, of course, sent it back to Vern in a box after he ran over it with his pickup truck. Hello? All right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, being, that's being good. Okay, here's your belt with a Goodyear tire through it. Um, so Nick held the title after that. That was another one of his title reigns. But then Nick lost a very controversial decision to Kurt Hennig. And if you go to YouTube, this is on there. Uh, Nick is losing the title to, to Kurt. Controversy because Zabisco interfered with a roll of coins. And Kurt supposedly knocked Nick out with them. The title by Stanley Blackburn was held up. The reason it was really held up behind the scenes, and people didn't know this at the time, is that Kurt had been negotiating with the WWF and there was thought process that he was going to go. Well, luckily, he did change his mind. So Stanley Blackburn made the right decision and said that Kurt Hennig was champion. And, you know, there was no evidence again now of those coins. One of those weird things in wrestling. So Kurt, absolutely, again, from a technical standpoint, and then put in his heel arrogant persona that he had right at that moment, he was starting to hone what would later become Mr. Perfect. But we had him as cool Kurt Hennig. And Vern did this not only for Kurt. He liked him. He worked with him. He trained him. Vern and Larry Hennig, though they had their issues, guys, Vern did it as a favor to Kurt. It was a perfect champion at the right time, but we know things didn't last long, and Mick's got the next one on that. Well, and to your point, George, about how Kurt was really being groomed at that point uh, for the Mr. Perfect character. Uh, Kurt, of course, was a longtime babyface, you know, all over the country and here in the AWA area. Then he turns on, on Greg Gagne. And I would say that when Kurt was the AWA champion back in, you know, 1987, when he won the title, that's where he really started formulating this persona, this heel persona, the arrogance. Excuse me. And the rest is history. Uh, yeah. Kurt Hennig, to me, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, period. Absolutely. Uh, let, let alone in the AWA. Next guy I'm going to talk about, and uh, George, you'll love to jump in on this one, is another one of those coffee break champions. And it's Jerry the King Lawler. Now, back in the 1980s, you know, when all the promoters are trying to band together to take down Vince McMahon, uh, Vern had a, a relationship with the USWA. And, you know, this would include Memphis, this would include Dallas, that territory. And in order, again, to try to combat the McMahon machine and also give the AWA notoriety that they were expanding their territory, that they were the legit organization, they had Jerry Lawler come in and win the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. 
And you know how that turned out. Super Clash 3 in Chicago. Uh, it's, it's Jerry and Carrie Von Erich. Very controversial decision. Looks like Carrie Von Erich is going to win the championship from Jerry the King Lawler. Unfortunately, referee Marty Miller, just before Lawler was about to be had, stops the match because Carrie Von Erich is bleeding excessively. Awards the match uh, to Jerry Lawler, an uproar of wrestling fans uh, when they gave Lawler the championship. And on top of it, then Lawler gets into it with Vern Gagne. You know, he hasn't been paid for Super Clash. Lawler no-shows a couple of dates, uh, takes the championship belt with him back to Memphis. The AWA strips Jerry Lawler of the heavyweight championship. And once again, you get into that Mickey Mouse behind-the-scenes controversy. But again, out there, uh, lots of pictures of Jerry Lawler with the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. He gave him notoriety. He gave him fame. But it was so short-lived. Well, and it was short-lived, although it was about six months. Here's the thing. That super clash thing. If you want to have controversy in pro wrestling, and this is one of the greatest stories, and this brings in our modern-day fans, too, many of them. If you talk to Jerry Jarrett, if you talk to Jerry Lawler, they claim that Vern didn't pay him for pay Lawler for that super clash night. If you talk to Greg, which I have dozens of times, and Vern back in the day, they both said they weren't supposed to pay Jerry. It was supposed to be Jarrett that was paying Lawler yes. because of their working relationship. And they had it worked out that each promotion was going to handle the paydays for their individual guys. And Kerry Von Erich was in that mix as well because he was working for the Von, for Fritz's promotion. So that's one of those things where the, the parties that are involved, I think the only two that are left are, are Jerry Lawler and Greg Gagne, and they still have their own version of it. We may never know the truth. And George, just real quick, because I, I know we're running short on time. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about it, uh, uh, again, is that depending on who you're talking to, you're either going to get the story or you're not. You're going to get, you know, it's a he, he said, she said situation. I've heard some people say, yeah, I didn't get paid. Some wrestlers have said, yeah, I didn't get paid for Super Clash either. So is it revisionist history on their part or on Greg Gagne's part? Whatever. But, you know, one of those blips on the radar, kind of a dark blip in AWA wrestling history. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting about that, too, with the three promotions attempting to work together, um, they were trying to combat Vince McMahon, and they figured yeah. together they could be stronger. But the real problem, Mick, it was the fact that they had three chiefs. Jarrett wanted to be in charge. Fritz von Erich wanted to be in charge. And, of course, Vern. And ideally, you just can't have three chiefs. you got to have one guy in charge. In the end... As Vince McMahon so appropriately said, he watched them implode. Absolutely. You know, but the truth is Vince did a lot of things behind the scenes that we could go into at another time that had a lot to do with that. But that's the way it all went down, folks. Lawler was stripped of the title, and uh, we moved on. Now, you've got a little, little juxtaposition here right. in uh, championship reigns. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. The next champion after... Lawler, and I'm going to let Mick go into this after I speak, but the next champion was Larry Zabisco. We'll stop right there. 
Larry was in Japan. And before 60-some thousand fans, folks, this documented, in Tokyo, Japan, Zabisco dropped the title to Masa, Mr. Saito, Mr. Torture, as he was called by Jesse. Masa Saito was the real deal, kids. I'm telling you. This was a guy you honestly, if you pick a fight with him, you better prepare have your insurance paid up and have your plot picked because he's going to put you there. And he won the title from Zabisco in Tokyo, Japan, before 60-plus thousand, came back to the United States. They ended up having a rematch, of course, as time went on. And as planned, Saito dropped it back to Larry Zabisco. And, Mick, you can take him away right there. Larry Zabisco was the last AWA champion. He had initially won the title after they stripped Lawler. Uh, Larry Zabisco won the title in an AWA battle royal. There's old Larry, and the the man that he eliminated to win that championship was the late Tom Zank. Larry won the championship, and of course, the big knock against Larry Zabisco from wrestling fans is Vern gave Larry the title because Larry was married to Vern's daughter, which, in fact, he was. He was married to Kathy Ganya. Now, the question is, is that reason enough to give a, a guy a title, or is the fact that Larry Zabisco had name recognition all over the United States, all over the world, and in the dying days of the AWA, Larry Zabisco was a saving grace, I'm telling you. Along with Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos in the tag team scene, Larry Zabisco got such tremendous heat. Of course, he had that incident, that angle with Nick Bockwinkle on television where he hit Nick with the nunchucks. Nick turned babyface. They had a tremendous feud. Larry fought uh, Scott Ledoux. I don't think any AWA champion in history has as much heat as Larry Zabisco, calling the fans the spudheads and whatever he did. Uh, but the, the AWA, of course, uh, closed their doors, and Larry Zabisco goes down in history as the very last AWA champ before the uh, the key went in the lock and then was thrown away. I would point out that when uh, Larry did, when the promotion was really on life support, seriously, uh, Larry decided to take up some bookings with WCW. And he was granted their Western Heritage Championship or some crazy belt. But he was Mm -hmm. the Heritage Champion. And Vern just announced that Larry was stripped of the AWA title. And then shortly after, the the key turned the lock for the last time. So let me ask you this. We went through the lineage. We went through, you know, you kind of went through and you explained kind of how things, how it went from one person to another. One name that we haven't mentioned, and, and I know that people have asked, there was the overturning, maybe one of the biggest uh, questions in the AWA. What if, and you guys know where I'm going, why did you not mention Hulk Hogan? A- and some people might know, some might not, but we see that Hulk Hogan beat Nick Bockwinkle, but he didn't really beat Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start out with that, Mick? Well, first of all, we don't mention Hogan in the lineage of AWA champions because he never held the title, period. Uh, you can you know, look at all the YouTube clips that you want. You can go on Wikipedia. You can this, that, and the other thing. 
Hulk Hogan was never AWA champion. The age-old argument, would Hulk Hogan have saved the AWA? If Vern Gagne had given Hulk Hogan the championship, would Hogan have stayed here and not gone to WWF? No, ladies and gentlemen. And this is, you know, it's conjecture. It's opinion. Uh, Vince McMahon was going to get Hulk Hogan regardless. He was going to buy him away from Vern Gagne. Uh, Hogan did not need the championship. He did not. He was he was just as good going after the title, the chase. And I, I again, you know, that you have that big controversy, the Super Sunday, et cetera, where, where Hogan supposedly beats, beats Nick, and then they take the title away from him. He never held the championship. And in retrospect, good for Vern Gagne for sticking to his guns. It wouldn't have made any difference in the long run. It would not. And to add to what Mick says, I mean, everything you just said, it isn't even conjecture, it's fact. But here's the deal. Hogan was not going to get the title for another reason. And again, it goes back to Vern. He was not going to have a more popular champion, but he did not need to because he was going with his tried and true mm -hmm. outside the ring friend, Nick Bockwinkle, who along with Bobby Heenan, I mean, you talk about box office magic as champion and manager, Vern, that he had the perfect setup. Anybody that challenged those two drew a house. And that was where Hogan was getting his biggest rub, was that Nick and Bobby were putting him over and making Hulkamania the reality that it was going to become just a few months later when McMahon claimed he created it. So, folks, you go to those websites, and that Hogan's name is mentioned on some of them, you believe it if you want to, but you know what? If you want the true history, we have just went down and there were officially 18 AWA world champions. And anyone else that's listed, don't argue with us. And if you want to argue with me, fine, but I'm not going to argue with you anymore. Pat O'Connor was not AWA world champion. I saw a picture of you with the AWA title. Weren't you number 19 at one point? Well, I could show the folks I actually wore Nick Bockwinkel's belt. I had it on. So I guess I was AWA champ. There you go. I mean, hey, that's where uh, the rationale comes from. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up. Bring it home, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and give some shout-outs. And then we got some trivia this week. So uh, the shout-outs, it's going to start with you, Mick. And uh, this kind of this might feed into a future show here. Absolutely. I want to give a shout out to one of the AWA's most lovable enhancement guys. Listens to our podcast all the time. Nacho Barrera. Love Nacho. He is such a sweetheart of a guy. And you teased it a little bit. We are going to have Nacho Barrera. He has agreed at some point down the road to be on our program. Shout out to Nacho. And I guarantee you when we do have him on the show... We will put him over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I got to give a shout out to Chris and Mick too. Boy, I'll tell you what, when I look at my longtime wrestling friends, this guy and I go back to 1968. And I'm talking about Norman Keetzer. Uh, if you know Norman, I mean, oh my God, if I could tell, we could do a show on Norman. And, and this guy was quirky. He was funny. He was different. 
in his day, one of the most knowledgeable of the business. And here's the key. In the day, if you wanted the inside stuff on pro wrestling, not like the fluff you got from the newsstand books, mm-hmm. Norman's wrestling news publications were really the Bible. He did these um, uh, area close-ups, and we had inside stuff on all the different territories. And Norman is a faithful listener, one of my best friends in the business, and he's had some health problems in the past uh, few years. He's dealt with some serious issues, and just God bless him. He gave us wrestling back in the era through his magazines. It was great. So, Norman, I love you, man, and I thank you for your friendship. And uh, I'm going to go with a, uh, a well-known trainer out east, Johnny Rods, who uh, follows us on a Twitter as well. It's uh, and I actually have uh, I've got it here at Rods Johnny, and uh, I want to thank Johnny Rods for following us. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to have somebody like that uh, supporting us. So uh, Johnny Rods, uh, this is uh, this is for you. Let's go ahead and give the trivia question, Mick, before we wrap it up. All right, let's see if we can get a winner this week. I want to know how many times did Vern Gagne defend the AWA Heavyweight Championship against Andre the Giant? Andre, of course, came in and out of AWA territory many, many times over the years. Won a battle royal to get a shot at Vern Gagne. That was promised to the winner. How many times in all did Vern Gagne defend against Andre the Giant? And uh, if you know, you can email Mick or email George. You can see their uh, emails right there. Guys, this has been great as we uh, wrap up the month of July. And I don't know we haven't even figured out what's going to happen next week, but we'll we'll figure that out. But good show. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, I'll, I'll see what Nacho's doing. You there know, you maybe Nacho's out at the beach, you know, f- Flashing off that incredible physique of his. Maybe we can can line him up or something. We'll figure it out. Thank we you, Chris, do. for the good job. Always. You got it. And uh, by the way, guys, uh, subscribe, rate, review anywhere, uh, YouTube, and uh, do us a salad, would you? Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.